Well, we've been looking the last several weeks at the verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. This will be the third week looking at the same verse, so hopefully we finish it tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we've been doing a study on sanctification. That's a big theological word, but it has the idea of being set apart for the use of God. But before we can be sanctified, we need to be justified, right? Now, what is, there's another big theological word. What does that one mean? What does it mean to be justified? To be declared righteous, exactly. To be declared righteous. So when I am justified, I am declared righteous. Now, how does that happen? Well, it can't happen on my own merits because I am a sinner. I was born a sinner, and I am a sinner by choice, and, and that, is, that was my nature before I was saved. So there's nothing I can do to become righteous. I can't declare myself righteous. I can't say I'm going to do good acts to become righteous. I cannot say I'm going to keep the law or I'm going to get baptized or I'm going to go to church or I'm going to pray and those good works will outweigh my bad to help me get to heaven because then, you know, God will take the good stuff I've done and put it on this side and the bad stuff I've done and put it on this side. That is not how it works. But you could do all these good things and still not be declared righteous. You could still be lost in your sins. But it is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the perfect Lamb of God, who came to this earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, and shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day in order to provide a way of salvation for you and me. And when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ then we are justified. Not because of anything we have done, but because God takes and imputes to us the righteousness of Christ, and we are justified. Now once we're justified, God wants us to be sanctified, to become more like Christ. Because at the moment of salvation, part of our sanctification happened. When I was saved, the old sin nature was not eradicated, so, as I become more like Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul writes, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've looked at this, breaking this down then. If we're to be sanctified, Every area needs to be sanctified, and we are a tripartite being. We are body, soul, and spirit, right? We looked at some slides a few weeks ago that showed that we are a body, soul, and spirit. The body is what you see. It's what carries the rest of you around, if you will. The soul is the real you. It is your mind, will, and emotions. And then the spirit is the spiritual part of us that was born dead, but quickened by the Spirit of God when we were justified. Now, that's why I say you can't be sanctified until you're justified, because that part of you is dead until you're justified. Once you're justified, now you have this Holy Spirit in you to help you grow to be more Christ-like. And so we went through what it means to be sanctified in the Spirit, but our spirit is the spiritual side of us and how we need to remove all idols from our lives. We saw that we are to fear the Lord. 
edify others, esteem spiritual leadership, treat others appropriately, be joyful, we're to pray, be thankful. And I know I'm going very fast, but this is all review of what we've already covered. <clears throat> Continue to listen to the preaching, have a clear conscience before God, and we need to remember where the focus of the Spirit is, the soul and body will follow. So what am I focused upon? Am I focused on things of God? Am I focused on eternity? Or am I focused on the things of this world? Then we talked about being sanctified in the soul. Again, the mind, will, and emotions. Our mind is to be renewed, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, the putting off the old man, being renewed in our mind, putting on the new man, then we saw we are to submit to the will of God, Romans 12, 2. Submit our will to the will of God. And then our emotions allow God to control our emotions. So that brings us down to being sanctified in the body. The body is how we come in contact with the rest of the world, right? We have five senses. Who remembers what your five senses are? Seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, and tasting. And so we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What is Paul saying? Okay, well, what's a sacrifice? It's something you're going to give to God. Now, typically, in the Old Testament, many of the sacrifices were burnt sacrifices. You would bring it to the altar and you would burn the sacrifice, right? At least God's portion of the sacrifice. Because remember, sometimes some of the animal was given to the uh, priest and sometimes portion of the animal was given back to the offerer. But God's portion of it was burnt. But he says, we are not dead, right? We're alive. So we're to offer ourselves a Living sacrifice. In other words, that sacrifice that you would bring to the temple was wholly given to God. You did not expect it back. So you and I need to offer our bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, giving all of our bodies to God for His use. As I said before, living then with open hands. Whatever God places in my life is His perfect will. Whatever He takes out of my life is His perfect will but allowing him to have control. Now, because I am a living sacrifice and the old man has not been eradicated, sometimes the old man wants to take charge again. But I need to submit myself a living sacrifice, realizing as we've been studying, as we studied uh, in the early morning service on Sunday, um, being in Romans chapter 6, a victorious Christian life Realizing the reality, the fact that I am dead, reckoning it to be so, and yielding myself and yielding my members as instruments of righteousness and not instruments of unrighteousness. So, though, let's stop and think about this. I am a living sacrifice, but it's not me that lives, it's Christ living in me, Galatians 2.20, right? So, I am alive, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So I'm alive because Christ is alive in me. So I, 
offer myself this living sacrifice, realizing I'm no longer mine, but God. So I don't do just whatever I want to do. I want to do according to God's will. But the beauty of it is, as I allow the Holy Spirit to take charge, He changes my desires that I no longer desire to do those old things. I no longer desire to live like the world lives. You know, all the vices that the world does, I no longer desire those things in my life. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm still not tempted to sin. Christian, we will deal with temptation until the day we die or the day we're raptured out of here. And many times the temptation is, comes in different forms. It could be laziness. It could be gluttony. It could be pride. It could be gossip. It could be all these things that God condemns, but yet we still somehow justify in our hearts. But again, looking at Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Again, holy, being set apart. The things that God wants to use, he uses holy things. He doesn't want dirty now, the beauty of it is, is that before I was saved, I was dirty inside and out. But when I got saved, he cleaned me up, right? He does the cleaning up. And, the beauty, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, let me clean up my life, then I'll come to God. God doesn't need you to clean up your life first. He wants to take you just as you are, and he'll do the cleaning up. He'll make you holy. So we need to keep, then, our body pure. Again, that starts in our thoughts, and the actions are a result of what we've been thinking upon. So we need to be careful where we allow our mind to go. Then he says, Paul says, this is acceptable unto God. Now I want you to think about this. When I offer myself a living sacrifice to God, God says that is acceptable or well-pleasing to him. I don't know about you, but I find it amazing that I, a creation of God, can do anything that will ever please a holy God. Do you find that amazing? That he would be so awed, if you will, by us doing what's right and following and obeying him. He would be um, pleased with such a thing. But yet, at the same time, we kind of get a glimpse of it as parents, don't we? When your child obeys, especially if they do the right thing without even having to be asked, which I know happened very rarely in most homes, but it did happen in, in, in our homes at least once, right? I hope. That your child did the right thing without even being asked, or seriously though, maybe it's something at school, a situation at school, and they handled it in such a way that <laughs> you actually want to claim them that, time, that moment, right? It's like, hey, that's my kid. That's my boy. That's my girl. So the actions of our children can bring us pleasure, can't they? Well, that kind of gives us a glimpse of our Heavenly Father. That when we obey and do what He asks us to do, and not have to be chastened to do it, but we just willingly serve Him and offer our bodies a living sacrifice, that brings pleasure to Him in the same way that my children obeying me would bring pleasure to me. Does that make sense? Then Paul says at the end of the verse, 
He says, so I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I want to stop here and, and talk about this for a minute. Reasonable service has the idea of it only makes sense. You say, how is that? Okay, remember just a little bit ago, I said Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect sinless life, yet he willingly died on the cross of Calvary. He died as my substitute. He died in my place. You know, Jesus Christ did nothing wrong. He did not deserve to die, but he chose to die in my place. He had never sinned, yet the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that my sin was placed upon him. He became my sin, the Bible says. He was beaten. He was tortured. He had his beard plucked out. He had the nails go through his hands and through his feet. And he suffered an agonizing death because of my sin. Yet I have been told by Christians, I cannot forgive so-and-so. And I look them square in the eye and say, how can you dare say that when Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all your sin? How can you ever say, I refuse to forgive somebody else? And so since Jesus Christ was willing to serve, think of this, God himself, the creator of the world, the one who spoke these worlds into existence, became part of his own creation in order to save his own creation. He went through every experience of life that you and I go through. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be hungry, to be thirsty. He knew what every experience of life is. And yet he did it willingly. And Paul says, therefore, when we look at what Christ has done for us, it is only reasonable. It only makes sense for us to give our all back to him. And when we say, I'm going to live for self instead of living for God, are we not belittling the sacrifice of Christ? Because we're saying, you know what? It's not reasonable. My desires are more important. My way is better. What I want matters more than serving God. So as we had gone through Romans chapter 6, we are no longer bound to sin. We're to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ and yield our members to God. But here we are in 1 Thessalonians. Let's go back to verses 3 through 12. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verses 3 through 12, Paul writes, This is the will of God, even your sanctification, you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, I cannot get that one out, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth and despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us the Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, 
and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may lack nothing. So Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, tells them we are to be sanctified abstain from fornication, abstain from the lust of this world, abstain from the fleshly desires, and to every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. In other words, don't live the way the world lives, but live a different life, live holy life, live a life. Now, it doesn't mean a boring life, but it's a life that is different. It's a holy life. You know, Christians still have fun. And I've told you many times, when I was in the Navy, and I'd see guys that go down to Tijuana, and they'd get drunk, and they'd come back, and then they'd be laying in their own vomit, or each other's vomit, unfortunately. And then they'd get up the next morning with their splitting headache and say, man, we had a great time. Really? Yet, actually, most times I wouldn't see them in the morning because they'd all still be passed out. But a few other guys who weren't, living that lifestyle and I would go on Saturdays and we'd go over to Tijuana or not Tijuana to uh, Balboa Park and if you've never been in San Diego California I don't know how it is now but back then Balboa Park had just about a museum for everything I mean there was a museum for cars there was a the zoo and there was art museums you name it they had it over there in Balboa Park so we'd go over and you could not see it all in one day it was just way too much to see And so we would go over on the weekends, and that's what we would do. And then we would come back in the afternoon after I'd gotten some lunch and, you know, had a good day. And then the other guys, yeah, we're going to go back down to Tijuana tonight because, man, we had such a great time last night. I'm like, you know what? No, you didn't. And then I tell them the great time we had during the day. And they're like, well, that's boring. Like, really? Well, did you know? And then tell them what I learned that day, you know. And they're like, no, but who cares? Whatever. Anyhow, the point being, folks, is those of us that chose to go Saturday over to Balboa Park and those that were choosing to go Friday night and Saturday night down to Tijuana, not only were living two different lifestyles, but had different opinions of our dealings with the law. Because a sinful life, according to God's word, which is truth, is a life that will lead to destruction and death. But living a holy life is a life of righteousness, a life that you can live without regrets, but more importantly, a life that will bring glory to the holy name of God. Because you see, when I learn to live life, not just about being separated, but trusting God. And Christian, each of us need to learn more and more to trust God in every area of life. Every time we worry, I believe we're wrong. We need to trust. I shouldn't fret. I shouldn't fear. Now, it doesn't mean I don't plan. I don't think things through. You know, yes, we've got to do those things. But as I'm making plans throughout the day, if I'm praying, I've heard people say this, well, I've been praying about this matter, and I've been seeking God's will in it, and I, I, I've talked to so-and-so, and I've been praying, and I've been reading the Bible, and I believe this is the way God is leading, and they show all the different ways, but they're like, I'm still not sure. Let me ask you a question. Is God trying to hide his will from you? Then why do we still act like when God has everything pointing 
in the same direction. I mean, what do we want? A neon sign that says this is the way, flashing, you know? We act like it sometimes, don't we? And if I head down a way that appears to be the way God wants me to go, and all of a sudden I come to a roadblock, and I pray about it, and God continues to block that path, and guess what? then I'm not supposed to continue that way anymore. But then we second-guess ourselves. Well, maybe I wasn't supposed to be going that way at all. I went through this when I graduated Ambassador Baptist College. I told you, I sat down with my pastor and I said, I have no idea what God wants me to do. And this was a few months before graduation. And I said, graduation's coming up and I don't know where we're going to go or what we're going to do. And he goes, well, does a bomb go off in May? Pastor Surrett's very wise. I said, yes, sir, in my mind it does. And he just laughed at me. He said, Jim, it's not going to go off. I said, yes, it will. May came, May went, no bomb went off. A few months later, my wife and I had many talks, and I had been praying a while through a series of circumstances. I believe God was leading us to go to inner city Charlotte to plant churches in the inner cities. You know why? I look across our nation, and it's still true today, there's a lot of churches in the suburbs and small rural areas like ours, but there's very few good Bible preaching churches in urban areas. Now, there are more and more going to the urban areas, realizing we have left a void and left a vacuum. So we prayed about it. We started deputation. I should show you the guys a prayer card. Man, my kids were young back then. And we started going to different churches and we started raising our support and we started getting ready to go to Charlotte. And as we were heading in that direction, I found out about what was Lake Road Baptist Church at the time. It's now the same church you're sitting in. I was a member of this church in 90, from 96 to 98 when I was stationed here at Cherry Point. And I had called another local pastor and was talking to him about wanting to come and set up a meeting. I'd already called the pastor of this church, which was the pastor I had while I was here. And he said, you set up a few other meetings in the area and I'll give you a meeting. And I called this other guy and he said, do you know what's going on at the church you were at in the 90s? I said, no, sir, I don't. And he shared with me some things that were very troubling. He goes, I think it was another one that said, set up some other meetings and I'll give you a meeting. My wife and I, my family and I, we were still continuing on. Uh, deputation. We went out to Nebraska, had some meetings out there, helped a uh, brother plant a church in Alliance, Nebraska. And then we came home by way of Connecticut because that's how you do things. But anyhow, uh, we went all the way up into New England, visited several. No, we went all the way up to uh, beyond Connecticut. We were up in New Hampshire. And, and on, we came back to North Carolina because we we're living in Shelby. I almost said stationed in Shelby. Yes. And I pulled Susan aside one day and I said, I can't get off my mind about Lake Road Baptist Church. And I feel I need to drive out there and talk to Pastor and just see if I can be an encouragement to him and the issues that were going on in this church. And Susan said, you know, I've been thinking about that too. So I called Brother Eburn from Grace Baptist Church and I said, uh, he was the one that told me about what was going on here and I said, prayed about what you said. I said, I'd like to go visit with him. And um, he said, you can use our prophet's chamber. He said, I think that'd be a great thing. But I sat down with him. We came on a Sunday morning and took him to lunch. And he told me 
of the things that, were, that I had heard were, were true. And he says, I know I'm not qualified to pastor anymore. He said, but he said, I've given over 12 years of my life to that ministry and it would be hard to walk away. He said, would you be willing to pre- or pastor there? I said, no, I'm on deputation to go to Charlotte. He said, well, would you pray about at least maybe being her interim? Well, when people ask me to pray about something, unless I have a legitimate reason to say no right away, I think it's only fair since somebody asked to pray about it, don't you? So I said, sure, I'll pray about it. And our deputation was not going well. We had not raised a whole lot of funds by that point. And so we prayed about it some more. And then I went to my pastor and he said, Jim, he said a few things I want to tell you. He said, number one, he said, I've seen you working very hard on deputation, but I've never seen anybody have such a struggle raising funds. And he said, I don't know if it's because of the inner city ministry. He says, I don't know what the reasoning is, but he says, it could be this very thing. He says, number two, he says, I believe salvaging the ministry is every bit as important as starting a new one, maybe if not more, because there's already been God's money invested in it. He said, if this is God's leading in your life, I support you going. He said, but you'll have to contact all the supporting churches and let them know as well. Well, long story short, we prayed about it, and obviously it was God's will. And I contacted all the churches that were supporting us already, and they all said almost the same thing Pastor Surrett had said. And we went to another church shortly thereafter, and they said, wow, that's a great ministry. We're going to take you on anyhow. So it was like all of a sudden God saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to do, right? I struggled with, and I said all that, and I'm sorry it's such a long illustration, I said all that to say this. I struggled with, should have I ever been looking at going to Charlotte in the first place? Was I wrong? I even had one pastor write me a letter, and he said, how dare you, after you came to our church and we gave you a love offering and you told our people that God wanted you to go to Charlotte, how dare you change your mind? I honestly didn't know how to answer it because I honestly believe I didn't change my mind. God changed my direction. Matter of fact, I did take that to my pastor. I was like, what do I do with this? And he read it and he goes, just ignore it. I said, okay. So I did. But that really even created more struggle in me. Wow, now I even have a pastor mad at me because he thinks I changed my mind. And I spent a lot of time on my knees saying, God, did I do something wrong? But I had to come to this realization. To this day, I still don't know why I was on a path to Charlotte. But I will tell you a few other things that happened shortly thereafter. Well, number one, while we were on deputation heading to Charlotte, I had a lot of talks with the missions professor there. His name was Norman Johnston. He's in glory now. And he, unbeknownst to me, was excited about it, and he said, you know what, there is a great need for cities. And he started preaching it and teaching it in his missions classes, and a guy named John Eichteflesh, try spelling that one, said to Norman Johnston, I want to go on the weekends to Charlotte and start a Bible study. John Eichteflesh now pastors every nation Baptist church in downtown Charlotte, uptown Charlotte. I don't know. Was that God's reasoning? I don't know. You know what? I don't need to know. I know one thing. When God brought me here to be interim pastor and now pastor of what is now Freedom Baptist Church, I knew this is where I belonged. But I also knew when I was on that path, that's where I belonged at that moment. How did I get from there to here? 
I can't really explain it all other than God can change our direction. And here's the point I'm trying to make. Don't second guess it when God is leading. Just keep following. It doesn't have to make sense to you. It doesn't have to make sense to everybody else. Apparently, it didn't make sense to that one pastor who sent me that letter, which, by the way, we, we are, I've met him since then, and we're very cordial. We, we, you know, I don't hold it against him. I don't think he holds it against me. But the point being this, follow God, let him lead, and he will direct. Has not God promised to order the steps of a good man? Has he not promised if we don't lean on our own understanding that he's going to direct our paths, if we, lean, if we trust in him, then let's trust him. And when he changes the course of direction, it's okay. And even when you don't understand, it's still okay. Just keep following. Just keep surrendering. Just submit body, soul, and spirit to him. I promise you someday when we get in glory, we'll understand then. But now, just simply trust Him. So tonight, as we end this message on being holy, sanctified, Christian, I hope each of you understand the importance of being sanctified in spirit, soul, and body. But again, if you're here tonight and you say, it cannot say that you've been justified, or that you've received Christ as your personal Savior, then you cannot ever understand the meaning of what it means to be sanctified. Because that justification must happen. You have to be born again. And if you're here this morning, and if, or this evening, and if I were to ask you, put it this way, have you ever been born again? Has there come a time and a place in your life when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you cannot give a definite yes to that, then we would love to be a help to you tonight. We would love to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ and show you how you can be saved. But Christian, those that truly are born again, are you being sanctified? Are you worshiping Him with your whole heart? Are you renewing your mind? And are you yielding your body to Him? Let's bow forward a prayer.